0: This podcast is supported by Anchor FM. If you've ever thought about doing your own podcast, then check out Anchor FM. Anchor FM is a free podcast platform that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Or your tablet if you got one. I really can't recommend these guys enough. It was worth switching over from another platform. Once you set up your podcast, Anchor FM will automatically distribute it to all other platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or such and such. It's very easy, very streamlined, and you can start making money immediately. Download the free Anchor app or log on to Anchor.fm to get started. This is a Kitty Pod production. Welcome to CR Crime, the only podcast dealing with true crime in New York's capital region. I'm your host, Jason Bullitt, who is also the host of the Keep It To Yourself podcast, of which this is an offshoot. After taking a week off following the month long series on the 2015 Danimore prison break and to recharge our batteries during the July 4th holiday, we're back on the True Crime Watch. This time it's a working vacation of sorts as we're staying in the Adirondacks to discuss. Robert Garrow. The Adirondack Mountains are a popular destination for either day trips or longer stays for Capital Region residents, as well as other parts of upstate New York and even down in New York City. Lake George, for example, gets many visitors over the summer with such attractions as the Great Escape Theme Park, Fort William Henry, and the lake itself where one can take steamboat rides, like yours truly. A number of families also have cabins dotted around the area, some of which have existed for generations. The Adirondack Park spans 6 million acres, making it the largest park of its kind in the United States, and its forever wild status has helped to prevent development of business and the environmental damages that come with it within the park's boundaries. However, it was in the summer of 1973 that an infamous murder spree took place within the wild confines. But first, a look at the murderer himself. Believe it or not, Dannemora, where the beginning of our last saga took place, was the birthplace of this week's criminal. Robert Francis Garrow Sr. was born in Danamore on March 4, 1936, to French-Canadian immigrants and poor farmers Robert Omer and Margaret Garrow. According to Garrow the Younger, his childhood was not a happy one by any stretch of the imagination, as his parents were rather strict disciplinarians, even going so far as to chuck bricks at their children as a means of enacting punishment. His siblings later corroborated those stories, and there were even times when the police were called to break up fights between the alcoholic elder Garrow and his son. When he was fifteen, Garrow the Younger was sent to a work farm after one of these confrontations turned brutal. It was during that time when Garrow reported a litany of acts involving sexual dysfunction and unintentional animal husbandry with the animals on the farm both man and boy. Especially an episode where he would frequently use a milking machine to pleasure himself. Upon his release Garrow opted to gain some kind of structure into his life and enlisted in the United States Air Force. However, only a year later, he was court-martialed when one of his superior officers caught him stealing money and was sentenced to six months in a military prison in Florida. After a breakout from that prison, this is known as foreshadowing, kids, and maybe a spoiler alert, he was caught and sent to another such prison in neighboring Georgia. Garrow's hitch in the Air Force lasted all of two years, many of which were spent in the clink. In 1957, at the age of 21, Garrow returned to the Empire State to settle down. He married a woman named Edith in Lowville, Lewis County, who gave birth to a son, Robert Jr. Despite the two additions to his life, Garrow's life still did not improve. Getting fired from a series of menial jobs didn't help either. It was at a fast food joint in Albany that Garrow's criminal career began when he robbed it. He was also involved in an abusive homosexual relationship, in air quotes, with a male attorney that Garrow described as a sadist. In 1961, Garrow raped a teenage girl and was arrested after he knocked out her boyfriend with the butt of a pellet gun. Garrow immediately tried to avoid arrest when police located him, but it was to no avail. Police shot Garrow and eventually caught up with him. He was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in the Clinton Correctional Facility. Oh, CCF, we just can't get rid of you, can we? In Garrow's hometown of Danamora, He was released after nearly 8 years for good behavior. I hope you keep that in the back of your mind, because that's the only time you're going to hear Robert Garrow and good behavior in the same sentence. Upon release, Garrow spent the next 4 years keeping on the down low, working at a bakery in Syracuse. However, he would later discover that crime was his real vocation. In 1972, Garrow was arrested again, this time for possession of drugs and unlawful imprisonment, the latter stemming from when he tied up two female students against their will, even though they didn't press charges. The following year, Garrow added fugitive to his criminal resume, when he no-showed a scheduled court date stemming from charges of child abuse in suburban Syracuse. That almost rhymes. On that occasion in early 1973, 16-year-old Alicia Hawk had gone missing while walking home from school. The summer of 1973 was an interesting time in the United States, but also the world as well. The Watergate hearings, involving then-President Richard Nixon warm television screens across the country as millions upon millions watched. Here in the upstate, the Watkins Glen Speedway played host to Summer Jam. Upwards of 600,000 people packed the speedway for a concert by popular rock groups of the day such as the Grateful Dead, the Allman Brothers, and the band. And by consequence, probably a good deal of marijuana and other illicit drugs were used too. Meanwhile downstate, the genre of hip-hop, also known as rap music, was born during a house party in the Bronx. Secretariat blew away the field at the Belmont Stakes to become Thoroughbred Horse Racing's first Triple Crown winner since 1948. But way up north, a murder took place that resulted in a manhunt unlike any other up to that point in Empire State history. In the early dawn of July 29th, four Schenectady residents were enjoying their weekend at a campsite in Hamilton County. Carol Ann Malinowski... David Freeman, Nick Fiorello, and Phil Domblevsky were four friends who had known each other since their high school days and enjoyed outdoor activities together. The group had set up camp south of the village of Speculator off of old Route 8. Garrow was driving his orange Volkswagen down Route 8, admiring the view like any other person and after having stopped for coffee and donuts along the way. With his car burning oil, Garrow stopped not for help to prevent a breakdown to his car but spotted two tents not far off the road. He finished his coffee, got out his 30 caliber rifle, and calmly walked toward the campsite, the first tent of which housed Malinowski and Freeman. The pair were waking up for the day when Garrow, who cut an imposing figure at only 5 foot 11 inches tall, and thus physically intimidating to all the campers, asked them to siphon gas out of their car. Domblewski objected to the request, and it was then that Garrow pointed his rifle and ordered the campers to march into the nearby woods, telling the frightened group, I've killed before, and I will again if I have to. Once in the woods, Garrow tied each of the campers individually to separate trees. They each pleaded for Garrow to stop this heinous act, but their requests fell on deaf ears. Dombleski was Garrow's first and only victim, when he was slashed across his chest by a knife Garrow had retrieved from his pocket. Bill Domblevsky was killed instantly. His body was discovered slumped to the ground with his head squarely on his chest. Not wanting in any way to join one of their friends in an early trip to the hereafter, Freeman and Fiorello managed to loosen their bonds and run for help, all while Gero made a getaway in his orange Volkswagen. Needless to say, the hunt for the killer was well and truly on. On July 31st, 1973, just 48 hours after the murder of Phil Domblevsky, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, Robert Garrow was on the lam in the town of Wells, having escaped to the woods there. He did so while speeding his Volkswagen through the thick forest with state police in hot pursuit. Garrow, who mowed down trees and bushes like his car was a humpback bulldozer, eventually crashed the car sometime later and fled that car in search of another means of escape. Meanwhile, state police had assembled hundreds of troopers, body-sniffing dogs, helicopters, and members of local law enforcement to search for Garrow, who had a warrant for his arrest issued by the Town Court, and whose wife and child were summoned to the scene of the crime. Suspicion also built during that time that Garrow had been involved in another murder weeks prior to this one. 25 miles away and 9 days earlier, He had murdered Daniel Porter, a student at Harvard University from Concord, Massachusetts, while his companion, 20-year-old Susan Petz of Skokie, Illinois, had gone missing in the town of Johnsburg in neighboring Warren County. Garrow's wife had recorded a message begging her husband to come out of hiding, drop his weapon, and surrender to authorities. Garrow, though, kept hiking north, and it was reported that he visited his sister in the Essex County hamlet of Mineville on August 7th. It was later determined that Pets' body was dumped down a mine shaft there. It was at his sister's house that Garrow's hand was bleeding, reportedly as a result of a dispute. The authorities were alerted to Garrow's whereabouts, and after a three-day-long stakeout and an attempted evasion, Robert Garrow came out and was apprehended after a lopsided shootout wherein he was shot in the legs, back and left hand by DEC officer Hillary LeBlanc. Garrow, who claimed paralysis on the left side of his body as a result of the shooting, was treated at Champlain Valley Physicians Hospital Medical Center in Plattsburgh. It was there that the doctors called BS on the paralysis claims. Nonetheless, after 11 days, the manhunt was over. On June 10, 1974, the trial of Robert Garrow began in Hamilton County Court in the county seat of Lake Pleasant with the Honorable George Martin presiding. Security by mid-1970s standards was tight, given Garrow's proven track record of eluding police custody as was discussed earlier in this episode. Trained snipers were installed along the perimeter of the courthouse and at the intersection of Route 8 to gun down Garrow should he somehow make a break for it. Garrow, who pleaded not guilty by way of the insanity defense and was wheelchair-bound, was the first witness in the trial to testify in his own defense after a week of opening arguments. He confirmed the homosexual relationship with the male attorney years earlier, and all his previous crimes leading up to the murders, but feigned amnesia whenever important matters came up while being interrogated. It was also sussed out that the day after his confession... Garrell had confided in his court-appointed defense attorneys, Francis Belge and Frank Armani, that he knew where the bodies of two of his victims were located. The two attorneys did not mention that during the trial in the interest of client confidentiality, and even traveled to Essex County to corroborate their client's claims. Even so, the bodies were somehow discovered weeks later. On June 27th, Judge Martin ordered the jury of seven men and five women to render a verdict. Stating the following: If you find beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant at the time he acted was not suffering from a mental disease or defect of such a nature that he lacked substantial capacity to know or appreciate the nature and consequence of his conduct and that conduct was wrong, then you must return a verdict of guilty of murder, and there ends that quote: This now is then is standard operating procedure for finding a not guilty verdict via the insanity defense. At 22 minutes past 6 o'clock that evening, the jury found Robert Garrow guilty of first-degree murder. Garrow, who was promptly wheeled out of the courtroom during the jury poll, was given a 25 years to life sentence and returned to Danamora several days later on July 1st, beginning his term the very next day. Though the trial was over, controversy dogged the team of Belgian Armani, on February 25, 1975, Belgian Armani were indicted by a grand jury in Onondaga County Court for violations of the New York State public health law, specifically the sections that call for a prompt and proper burial for victims of murder and that the proper authorities are immediately notified of their deaths if they occurred for non medical reasons. Armani claimed that they defended Garrow at great financial expense to the tune of almost $40,000 and that the trial had driven him to the brink of insanity. Not only did the whole affair take a toll on his mental health, it did the same to his physical health as he suffered a heart attack on the day. In the end, Francis Belge was forced to give up his law practice and move to Florida due to client abandonment and crippling debts, while Frank Armani persevered and managed to salvage his firm. Belge, whose grand jury indictment was eventually dropped, passed away in Lake Worth, Florida in 1989 at the age of 63. Armani, on the other hand, co-wrote a book in 1984 entitled Privileged Information, wherein he described the modest operandi behind defending Garrow ten years earlier. Robert Garrow spent the first part of his prison sentence in Danamora. Still clinging to his false claims of paralysis from getting shot, Garrow sued New York State for $10 million and was transferred to the Fishkill Correctional Facility in Dutchess County, in the town of the same name and outside the city of Beacon. Compared to Dannemora, Fishkill seemed like Club Med, and Garrow requested to be housed in the prison's Elderly and Handicapped Unit. Fishkill is a medium-security prison, and during the time of Garrow's stay, It had gotten a reputation for prison escapes due to its lax security procedures. Sound familiar? As a mind-blowing total of 32 prisoners broke out between 1973 and 1978. It was during the end of that stretch where Garrow made a fatal mistake on becoming a statistic. Late in the evening of September 8, 1978, Garrow placed a dummy of himself made of wire and rags and placed it on his cell bed tucked a 32 caliber automatic handgun into his pants and casually walked out the front door of the cell. It was sussed out later that said armament was smuggled into the prison in a bucket of fried chicken by his son Robert Jr. Not exactly the same as sneaking a nail file into a cake, but just the same, the younger Garrow was later arrested and along with two other inmates and one of their wives, charged with aiding and abetting a prisoner in escaping his cell. Robert Garrell Jr. was sentenced to four years in jail for the incident, and helping his father break out of prison was only the beginning of his criminal career. I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Or the prison in this case. Upon noticing the dummy in the cell bed the next morning, the Corrections Emergency Response Team, or CERT, was called in to locate and bring Garrell back to Fishkill. It had been reported that he had fled the area and headed back to the Adirondacks as a place of safety. Garrow, in reality, had dug a hole just west of the prison and hid in it for three days, trying not to make a sound or any sudden movements. Several days later, a corrections officer discovered that Garrow had taken his portable transistor radio with him during the escape and traced it back to him. At 6 o'clock on the evening of September 11, 1978, never forget, Dominic Arena, a CO at the nearby Greenhaven Correctional Facility, spotted Garrow, who immediately opened fire. Arena was shot in the leg, but the CERT team ultimately prevailed by sending Garrow to the bad place by way of gunshots. To end the longest episode in the brief history of this podcast, we turn to an editorial published in the September 14th, 1978 edition of the Poughkeepsie Journal about Garrow's death at the hand of the CERT. Justice was served in the shooting death of Robert Garrow, He was a malignant cancer on the society that fostered him, less than useless to the human race. A number of families have also got cabins. Garrow who mowed down Fuck. Thanks as always for listening to CR Crime. If you enjoyed this episode, we've got a full archive on the same feed as the Keep It To Yourself podcast available on Anchor FM. You can also listen there as well as on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, or the platform of your choice. And give us a good rating and a good ride of five stars, that is. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.